It's going to be 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. This is the word of the living God. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Let's pray. Father in heaven, high and Lifted up you are, the king in all his beauty. We stand in awe of who you are this morning. What an incredible realization and thing to know that right now in heaven, you're seating, sitting on the throne. You're not quaking, you're not nervous, you're not shaken. On the contrary, the foundations of the temple quake at your voice. You are the immovable one, the eternal one, the everlasting one. We worship you, we honor you, we glorify you this morning. Father, as we turn to your word to hear from you now, we ask that you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see wonderful things in your word. Give us a heart that is ready and prepared by your spirit to receive your word and to joyfully apply it to our life. I pray that you would give me the ability to clearly and faithfully proclaim what is written in your word, that I would not speak from human reason or human wisdom, but that the word of God would go forth in power this morning. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. As you can see, our the title of the sermon today is Submission for the Lord's Sake. We are continuing our exposition of the first letter of Peter to the elect exiles in the dispersion, trying to figure out how we can be faithful sojourners. How can we walk worthy of in a wayward world. Many in our world today, especially in our country, like to say, I'm not very political. Maybe you say that yourself, and that's perfectly fine. Because we do find that often in Christendom, we find that the role of government, or perhaps more specifically, the Christian's relationship to government is often a complete afterthought. We don't have a, a biblical way of thinking about government, and so we often find that Christians will either go too far to the one side and seemingly love their country more than God. And sometimes people think that what Jesus would do is simply whatever it is that the government tells us to do. 
Yet other, others think that Christianity is a religion of revolution, that we are to overthrow the powers that be in lieu of establishing a new government under the authority of God. But as we consider how to be faithful sojourners, how to walk worthy in a wayward world, it is important that we learn to think biblically about the role of government and our relationship to it. And that's exactly, as you can see, that's exactly what Peter is dealing with in this next section. Peter, as you can see, is exhorting Christians to live lives of submission to civil authorities for the Lord's sake. In doing this, he gives us six important lessons on Christian submission. Six important lessons on Christian submission. And that's how we're going to spend our time this morning. So let's begin. Our first lesson is, first of all, is the command to submit. It's from verse 13, part A, the very first part of the verse. B, subject. If you have the NASB or the NIV or the New King James this morning, your Bible has translated that to say submit. Submit yourselves. The most important word in this passage, and it's going to be prevalent throughout the next couple of weeks, is hupotasso, which is the word that's translated as submit. Be subject. Submit yourself. If you remember, we've talked about imperative verbs. In other words, these are commanding verbs. These are commands. These are not suggestions. These are not, well, it would be great if you would. These are commands issued to us by the Holy Spirit through the pen and hand of the Apostle Peter. We have a pretty good idea of the word submit already. We, we have a general understanding, at least, of what it means to submit. But just for the sake of clarity, what he is meaning by this word is, is to be or perhaps to become inclined or willing to submit, to put yourself under the orders or wishes of others, namely those in authority. One commentator notes that it was originally used in a military sense to speak of soldiers submitting to the rule and the authority of their governors, coming in line, falling in rank, that this is the word, the submit. Christians are to live lives of submission where we are peaceably obeying the laws of the land. Our natural ears don't like to hear words like submit, especially if it's in relation to other humans. You want me to submit to a person? I don't think so. I can submit my paper on time, but I don't know about submitting my life to someone else, especially not the government. It is possible that the early readers were also taken aback by this command to be subject as Christians, by this point, the point of Peter writing this letter, they've already experienced persecution at the hand of the government. Let's not be under the impression that 
the government in these days, in Peter's context, was somehow more godly or even more moral than the government today. They knew quite well what it was like to be under ungodly, even wicked rulers. There was a great fire in Rome in A.D. 64. It destroyed some two-thirds of Rome. And it happened on Nero's watch, which, by the way, Nero was the emperor of Rome at the time. Go Google Nero and his reputation. It's less than stellar, to say the least. As a matter of fact, one historian, Tacitus, he wrote that Nero was responsible for the fire because he was wanting to rebuild Rome in a way that was pleasing to him without the input of the Senate. Just so happens that not long after that, he built himself for himself a big beautiful compound there in Rome. But as for Nero, he is said to have blamed the Christians for the fire. He was not fond of Christians. Nero was cruel towards Christians. He fed them to tigers in the Colosseum. And he used the bodies, get this, the bodies of Christians set ablaze as candles to light up his garden parties. Does that sound like a great guy? Does that sound like someone that, well, it makes sense for Peter to say to submit to that kind of leader. Absolutely not. That's a wicked ruler. And in this context, the fire hasn't taken place yet, but he is certainly in full-throated wickedness and persecution. In this context, Peter is writing to the Christians and saying, be subject to every human institution. Peter himself has been imprisoned before on account of the gospel. And it's this system that Peter is saying to submit themselves to. You know, we have this idea, this, this belief, and I hear people say it often, that you're to obey the government insofar as much as they're doing godly things. Don't we all wish that were the case? That we would actually have godly politicians? That we would actually have a godly government? That would be wonderful. But that's not going to happen this side of glory, my friends. It's just not going to happen. We are ruled largely in, by people who are lost and dead in their sin. So how can we expect for them to rule over us in a godly fashion? It's not possible. Now we're going to get later on to some wisdom and discernment to use, of course. But we need to hear this same command from Peter today. Let's look at Jesus. Jesus himself modeled submission to human institutions, didn't he? You know, we used to wear the bracelets, the WWJD bracelets. Remember that? What would Jesus do? And we speak of Christ-likeness. But what would Jesus do in relation to the government? Well, we need only look at what Jesus did. He submitted himself to the rule of the government. Let's not forget that he stood before Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate, who was the governor of Judea at that time. 
He endured the Roman scourge. The government was doing this to Jesus. And he received the death penalty from the Roman government. Do you understand? Jesus submitted himself, even to the point of death, to human institutions. Like a lamb led to slaughter. He didn't fight back. He didn't fight the power. He submitted himself. As I stated in the opening, our submission to civil authorities is an area of life that we don't typically think of when we think of the Christian life, but it is necessary. But why is it necessary? We need to know why it is necessary. Number two, it is our incentive for submission. Look at what Peter writes, verse 13. Be subject for whose sake? For the Lord's sake. Be subject for the Lord's sake. Everything in the Christian life is for this reason. Everything that we do is for the Lord's sake. It's for Him and it's unto Him. The command for us to submit to government and our following obedience is no different. It is for the Lord. That is to say that we do not submit to government because we have no spine. We don't submit to government because we have no convictions. We're not submitting to government for any other silly reason we could contrive other than the fact that it is for the Lord. This doesn't make us Christian nationalists. It doesn't mean that we idolize the government. It doesn't even mean that we are blind to the utter moral failings of our leaders. We simply do it because the Lord says so. And so we do it for His sake. This is the Christian's heart, all of life unto the glory of God. You know Paul in 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. For the Lord's sake, it's for Him. Whatever you do, our submission to civil authority is no different. And this is important for Peter to write and us to grasp because we can see that it would be very easy to face persecution from the government and become bitter. It would be very easy for us to look at the utter lawlessness and godlessness of our government and say, well, I'm just not going to listen to anything those people have to say. But then we turn to 1 Peter, and the word that God said stands forever screams in our face, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. So we're not to become angry. We're not to seek revenge against a crooked system. This is not to be the Christian's mindset, but instead a humble submission to the governing authorities for the sake of our Lord. After all, when we submit for the Lord's sake, we are only walking in the footsteps of our Lord. We'll soon get down to verse 23 below, but if you'll go ahead and look at it with me. Peter writes of Jesus, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, 
but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly, in other words, to God. Jesus Christ modeled for us what it looks like to live humbly and submissively on this earth. Notice, he did not revile in return. He didn't threaten. At one point, he even said, do you not think I could ask my father and he would send legions of angels to fight my case? Jesus had the authority. He is the authority. He is Lord. And even still, he submitted himself to the human institutions. He knew that vengeance belongs to God and that even when he is treated unfairly, God one day will punish all sin. Thus, as Peter has been demonstrating, we as Christians live with an eternal perspective. And in doing so, we submit to civil authorities for the Lord's sake. Once again, allow me to repeat, it's not because we're spineless cowards. It's not because we think that the government is infallible. And it's not because they do great things that are even in our favor. But it's simply because our Lord has commanded it. And we do it for His sake. Let's look at number three, those that we submit to. Verse 13 See the last part of verse 13 through 14. Let's just read it. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Peter first begins in a very broad category, doesn't he? Every human institution. There's an interesting note to make here about the word institution. In the original, it's actually only used in the New Testament to refer to creation. God's creation, God's creative work in the world. So what he's saying and showing us is that these human institutions are instituted by God. They're not of just absolute human invention. We didn't come up with them one day out of the clear blue sky. These are God's ordained means of structuring a society. Now, obviously, these structures are filled with people who often are not near to the Lord, so therefore they become broken. But these, the systems themselves, the human institutions, these are God's way of structuring the society. We have speed limits. We might sometimes think of those as speed suggestions. We have seat belt laws. We have building codes and permits. Brother Art, you know that one very well. We even have regulations on parking. You can get a ticket for parking in a place that you ought not park. But imagine now a world without these human institutions, a world without speed limits, a world without seat belts, a world without you park wherever you want, you build as you wish, whenever you wish, no rules, no laws, there would be utter chaos. Every human institution, though, should see Christians humbly and peacefully submitting to their authority. 
Peter even specifies the emperor and the governor. He says the emperor as supreme. The word here for emperor is the same word for king. But it is essentially meaning that the highest authority in the land, thus the addition of the word supreme. The emperor is not supreme, as in he is to receive our highest allegiance in submission, but only that he is the highest authority in human institutions in the land. As the United Bible Society handbook points out, this title is not given to him because of who he is as a person, but because of his function. Now, this is an important distinction to make. It's not because of who he is as a person, but it's because of his function. That is to say, the emperor is not supreme in his person, only in his function. We know as we sang the king in all his beauty, it is only Jesus Christ who reigns as supreme in both his person and his function. That is to say that he is Lord and he rules as Lord. That is who we first and foremost are submitting ourselves to. Our president and any president that we might have is not to be submitted to because of who he is as a person. My friends, we would not ever in good conscience be able to submit to him then if it was simply based off of who he is as a person because he doesn't possess any authority in and of himself. Rather, we are to submit to our president in this country because of the role that he plays in our government. It's the function that he has. So allow me to say again, it's only Jesus Christ who we submit to because of who he is and the role that he maintains. Jesus Christ is Lord, and he exercises authority as Lord. The governor here, the same goes for the governor. Now in our context today, a governor is a, a very specific role. It's a very specific position with a specific role. But in the context that Peter is in, this word is simply meaning another ruling authority. It's somebody who is sent by the emperor. So these are not dueling authorities. The governor is subject and under the emperor. The emperor sends the governor, and as we see, it is for a particular purpose. Look with me at verse 14. Or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Here we see a taste of the role of government. What I want to get to in this point is that Peter is giving us a responsibility of these human institutions that we are to be submitting to. He says the governors are sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. This is one of the major roles of government, to praise those who do good and punish those who do evil. And while we might not see a government handing out trophies for best citizen, we don't have that, do we? Maybe we would all get a participation trophy you, you tried your best. Here you go. 
We don't see that. It's not that sort of rewarding of behavior. But we do know that there are ways to be praised by human institutions. For one, if you're doing good things in your life, following the rules, in other words, you won't be put into jail. By the way, that's actually a very good thing. That's a leg up. In other words, we're not arbitrarily chosen to be punished and put in prison. At least, we shouldn't be. As the early believers knew quite well, as did Peter, those in authority that are a part of these human institutions don't always do the right thing. What happens when the government begins to punish those who do good and praise those who do evil? God tells us in Isaiah, Woe to you who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to you. Daniel knew about this as he was cast into the lion's den for not bowing down to Nebuchadnezzar's false gods. Now understand, Daniel was doing a good thing. He was choosing to obey and to worship Yahweh. But Nebuchadnezzar had a rule in the land that you must bow down to these false gods. So Daniel had to obey, disobey, didn't he? But he was doing good in his disobedience. And he was punished for it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, same thing. It's a terrible thing in the eyes of God to make those who do good afraid and to act unjustly towards those who are undeserving. Kings all throughout the days that we have recorded in the Old Testament often did the same. Many of them led Israel into apostasy and the worship of foreign false gods. They acted unjustly in deciding between legal matters and were harsh on those who were weaker and impoverished. This command for us as Christians to submit to them is not, hear me clearly, is not hingent upon whether or not they are evil rulers. Whether or not you voted for them. Whether or not they rose to power illegitimately, or whether or not you like the individual. This is one of the big conversations, or perhaps arguments is a better word to use, that is taking place in our country today, isn't it? That if we perceive the leader to be of ill repute, if he is not up to our standards, we have the right to react however we see fit. Look at the events that have taken place over the past year. We've seen riots all over America in the name of justice. Those who were taking part in these riots were justifying their cause by saying that they do not believe in our current government or our current human institutions to be performing in a manner that they deem as right, good, and just. Therefore, they have the right, if not duty, to demand their way by rioting, calling for the defunding of the police, destroying buildings, vandalizing police cars, and so on and so on. But understand that our police are a part of these human institutions. They're a part of the human institutions that God has ordained 
for us to keep things in order. Paul in Romans 13, chapter 1, I mean, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 13, verse 1, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. This is written by Paul, who ironically frequently found himself in prison for preaching the gospel, which, and yet he still says to let every person be subject to the governing authorities. He goes on to explain that these authorities are servants of God as they exact God's wrath on wrongdoers. For any Christian to support these calls for defunding the police is to be in disobedience against the word of God and against the very institutions that God himself has put into place. Our police officers are as ministers of God that he uses to carry out his wrath against wrongdoers. Do they always get it right? Of course not. But does that mean that we are to do away with them? Of course not. I bring this up only because we saw what type of tragedy occurs this past week when we don't live in, human, in submission to human institutions. As you know, the life of the Bartlett family has now changed forever as Sergeant Bartlett was murdered in the line of duty this past week by a young 22-year-old male. I will not presume to know that young boy's life, but I do know that he clearly did not live in submission to civil authorities, and someone lost their life because of it. Do you see where things can potentially end up when we do not live lives submitting to civil authorities for the Lord's sake? Let's move on to number four. Let's look at the reason for our submission. Because man, it sure sounds like we're having to do a lot here. Verse 15. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. We looked at the incentive for our submission, the desire to glorify God in all that we do, but this is only because of the primary reason for anything taking place is that it is God's will. It is God's will that we submit to human institutions, but why? Our God's will in your submission is not that you'd be humiliated for the sake of humiliation. It's not that you'd show yourself spineless, but so that you would walk worthy in a wayward world and you would, by doing so, put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. This is God's purpose in having us live this way. This should sound much like what we covered last week when Peter wrote, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Why? So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. Be Reminded in all that God commands of us that none of it is pointless, but instead it's all packed with purpose. 
to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Will foolish people always try to find something to say about the Christian life? Of course. Just take a look around you in our culture today. Right now, there are wars about purity culture. There are wars about various tenets of the Christian life and the Christian belief system. And all of it is absolute ignorance from foolish people. But notice what it is not written, that this is God's will, that by getting angry and beginning wars, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. It does not say, for this is the will of God, that by organizing a revolution, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. It does not say that by using violence or harsh words towards people that you should in that way put to silence the ignorance of foolish people, but how? It's by a good life. It's by us living in submission to civil authorities. There are many more things that we could say there. But let's move on to the mindset in our submission. Verse 16. The mindset in our submission. We are to live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. As I have stated before, we are not commanded to submit ourselves because of some sort of weak empty Christianity, but because we are free. We are free in Christ. We are free to obey Him instead of living as slaves to our sinful nature. Since there is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, since we have been declared righteous in the high courts of heaven by God the Father, there is no human institution who can once and for all, condemn us. As Paul writes in Romans 8, if God is for us, who can be against us? If you are free in Christ, my friends, you could be put in prison for your beliefs. You could have any manner of persecution take place at the hands of the government, but you would be free. Peter is writing this, having been to prison himself. You know what he was doing while he was in prison? Living as one who is free. We could, in Canada, we talked about recently, the pastors who were arrested there. As they were behind bars, they might in a human sense be imprisoned, but in the eyes of God, they were free. This is the beauty of being a faithful sojourners is that we are free in Christ. We are not slaves to a system. We are not to be subject to the governing authorities as a means of salvation. We do not find salvation in a governing authority either. But we find salvation in Christ Jesus, who, let's just play this through, by submitting in his submission to the civil authorities of the time, 
Jesus endured the Roman scourge. Jesus endured great suffering. Greatly persecuted was he. He was beaten and flogged. His beard pulled out. His body broken. He died at the hands of the government. An unjust death. But he did it for you and I. Because on that cross, he was bearing our sin. He bore every single one of your sins, mine and yours, both past, present, and future. He endured the wrath of God that was meant for you. And he died under the hands of lawless men, but only to rise again. And you see, when we put our faith in him, we are made free now from their slavery to sin. We are made free to now worship and to honor and to obey Him. In reality, we think that being free means the ability to do whatever it is that pleases you. But truthfully, being free is being able to do what pleases God, which only those of us who are in Christ Jesus can truly do this is our mindset then is that we are living as servants of God when we are submitting to the government we're living as servants of God not necessarily the government this is for the Lord's sake we obey and submit to human institutions because we are servants of God And it is His will that we would glorify Him by living lives of civil obedience and doing good that the ignorance of foolish people would be silenced. Peter is explaining the opposite of what many of the early people against Christianity thought of them. That they were anarchists or revolutionaries or that they would possibly desire to overthrow the government. And this was the desire of those who wished to trap Jesus when they asked if They should pay taxes. And what did he say? Render unto Caesar what's Caesar's, and to God what is God's. In other words, I'm not here to begin a revolution. I'm not here to overthrow the government. But he was here to usher in an invisible kingdom. And that he did. So we answer to the authority of the land because we answer to the highest Authority. We are exiles, not anarchists. We are sojourners, not revolutionaries. Lastly, the hierarchy of submission, verse 17. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Peter finishes his teaching on submission to civil authorities with four commands all in a row. Peter says that as Christians, though we are labeled as intolerant and hateful, we are charged here by the Spirit of God to honor everyone. That's everyone. It doesn't matter if they are alive in Christ or dead in sin. The opposite of you or exactly like you. If they are slanderous towards you or charitable. Criminals or model citizens. If they are drug addicts or well-to-do, we are to honor everyone. Further, we are commanded to a higher level of interaction with the brotherhood. And this, of course, is a a reference to Christians. 
We are to love other Christians. And how much more important is this simple command whenever Christians find themselves in times of great persecution and we are ostracized by the society or our family cuts us out or you are imprisoned for holding church services or sued for baking a cake for not baking a cake for a gay wedding. Love for the brethren is a critical element of the Christian life. Now, we've spoken at length today about the importance of submitting to government, even if they're evil and wicked. But as we get to this third imperative in this list of four, I want to call your attention to the difference between three and four. Fear God, honor the emperor. We honor the emperor. We are to submit to civil authorities, of course, but we are to fear the Lord. Only God deserves our highest allegiance. Thus, if we find that our civil authorities are requiring of us that we disobey our Lord, we have no choice but to obey God rather than men. We see this example throughout Scripture, don't we? As already mentioned, David, or I'm sorry, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Peter himself, Paul. Many different martyrs throughout the ages have been disobeying the government when they have overstepped their bounds and commanded disobedience to God. Perhaps you wonder why it's a big deal that a pastor would be arrested for holding church services in Canada. Isn't he only disobeying this passage by having church? Shouldn't he submit to the government at this point? But really what he's doing is obeying God rather than man. We are commanded to meet together. We've covered this extensively in our study of the church according to Scripture. To not neglect the assembling together of ourselves. So hear me clearly this morning. I know that there are, there's a lot of chatter of an uptick in COVID cases. And we by no means desire to be insensitive to people who get sick and people who suffer in any way. But as for this church, if we do find ourselves in a situation again where the government tries to say that we cannot meet, I want you to hear me that we will obey God rather than man. And the doors will be open and we will be here because we must meet together. King Jesus says we meet. We don't neglect the assembling together of ourselves. There's not a caveat there or an asterisk that says unless it's dangerous. As a matter of fact, it would be the contrary That when things are in utter disarray, when things are in absolute chaos, that's when we need to be together all the more so that we can encourage and love each other in the Lord. It wouldn't be so we could gather together and shout at the government. It's so that we can come together and strengthen the brethren and love the brethren. We do honor the emperor. We do obey the civil authorities but only insofar as much as obeying them does not mean that we disobey King Jesus. Let's stand.
As Peter has instructed us to submit to civil authorities, let us be reminded this morning that all authority comes from God. No one possesses an ounce of authority outside of his sovereign decree. Thus, we submit to these civil authorities for his glory, and we live lives of good conduct so that we might silence the ignorance of foolish people according to the will of God. May Christ be glorified as we apply this text to our lives. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for covering so much different ground in your word. Just every area of life, we can find something speaking to that from your word. We thank you for that. We worship you and honor you because of that, Lord. For in our sinful nature, we would be more than inclined to rebel, to disobey at every turn, to mock, to put down, to do anything other than be subject. So we thank you, Lord, for your clear commands, and we ask for the empowering of the Spirit that we would apply this to our life and be subject to civil authorities, knowing that every authority comes from you. And I pray that you would also give us wisdom to discern when it is that to obey government would be to disobey our king, that we would not ever use that as a license to sin because we desire to disobey but that we would use discernment and wisdom so we can live lives that are pleasing to our Lord and our King. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. We have a, a song as normal. It, I will tell you this is a very quick song, but it is a way to end with our minds and our hearts glorifying our Lord. <laughs>